And um, I'm really excited for tonight. I just want to thank you. We said last year, we just, um, we have to put something in the calendar. If it's important, it's in your calendar. You know that? If it's important to your life, to your marriage, it's in your calendar. You can't avoid it. It's going to take your time. It's going to take energy. We said last year, if, if five people come or ten people come, whoever comes, we want to be investing into marriages to make sure this area, because what we're finding is the church is dealing with it reactively most of the time. And often then you're never getting ahead. You're just settling sore areas. You're just appeasing rather than saying, actually, let's build in, let's give tools, let's give handles, let's give examples, and let's take the church forward. I had like Taryn and Julie last time, and I want to thank you for taking time out. Here's the thing in churches, and if you speak to church leaders, the hardest meetings to get people to, marriages, and moments like this, and parenting. Why is that? Because most of us don't think we need any help until we really need help. And so I really want to thank you for taking this seriously. And we're saying we want to take this seriously. And, um, and we want to jump in. And, and I, I'm really excited about speaking tonight about something that I feel like God has shown me. And I think it'll be fun. We're going to have a little bit of fun along the way. At my wedding, the guy's name who preached was Stan. And he preached about the three little pigs. <laughs> it caught us a little off guard. We were on kind of a farm, so maybe that was apt, but he spoke about the three little pigs, and he went down the route of talking about the little foxes that come and steal. And to be honest, I stood there, I was completely captivated by my bride, captivated by the moment, captivated by all the people who were there, and I thought, that's awesome, I'll get there. But I've realized, uh, we celebrated 13 years of marriage last year, we've got a long way to go. I realized, actually, there's something in that. And I want us to go to Song of Songs, tonight, Song of Solomon. And um, generally when you go there, in a marriage context, you're talking about sex. We're not talking about sex tonight. Uh, just calm down. Just stay calm. Stay calm. Talk to Derek afterwards. And, um, but, but it's this book, and it's the story of a bridegroom who is, in love with, who is in love with his bride, and there's these key personalities of King Solomon, the Shulamite woman, or however you say that, and these friends who seem to jump in the chorus every now and again. And so we're going to read a little bit from there, but it starts out, it's Song of Songs, Solomon, Solomon, chapter 1, and it's all good. It's like Barbie and Ken of the Bible. I mean, it kicks off. How's this language? Let me, this is line 1. There's no like warm-ups. It says, Solomon's Song of Songs. That's it. It's like welcome. That's the introduction. Then it just goes, let me kiss him with the kisses of my mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine, pleasing as the fragrance of your perfume. And it's just like, blah. If you're into soppy love, it's all there. And it's Bible Barbie and, and um, charismatic Ken, as some would call him. they in the story. It's all good, amazing, and things are brilliant. Um, and you know what the... What life tells us and some of these stories tells us that turbulence is going to come. Jesus said in John 16 verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I'm actually going to preach on that at Simone and Dimitri's wedding on Friday. No, I'm not. Just relax. Stay calm. It will be happy. But... Um, but Jesus said, you're going to have some troubles. I was on a plane trip two weeks ago, and, and it was all good. The weather was perfect. And it, out of the blue, next minute, the hostess is walking down the aisle. People are falling. They're screaming. It's like, where did that come from? Um, I, I'm amazed. I've been in marriage counseling, and, and we had the, one of the funniest meetings. My wife and I were most bemused or kind of confused afterwards where the wife is like bemoaning. She's saying, I'm so shocked. I said, why are you shocked? So, now, I thought we were going to have sex all the time, and he just wants to talk. And I'm saying, I'm like, that, I don't think I controlled my face very well in that moment. I was like, okay, I'm shocked now. Or it's that moment where you, you've got the bumps, you think you all got to work, and you say to your wife, let's go on holiday, and you're thinking Mauritius or somewhere exotic away from any other person, and she's thinking in her head, we're going camping with my five siblings, my 27 cousins, and my three aunties, and you're going, what? Some of these bumps, they come, and they hit you in a big way. It's like your wife and you agree. You have the conversation. It's Valentine's. We're not going big this year. She's thinking, I know what you mean. <laughs> it's like these things happen. You can't avoid them. They happen. They just happen. Friend of mine, leads a church, three kids, beautiful wife, whole family in ministry. Boom, brain tumor. In hospital, had an operation this week. Malignant brain tumor. Got to go chemotherapy. Things happen. Life happens. God says there are going to be challenges, so prepare for them. And um, 
marriage is more like a marathon. And you're going to hear that example. No, it's not new to anyone. We just had the comrade last week see all shapes and sizes running up this hill. It's quite amazing. But here's the amazing thing about marathons. It's not hard to enter. I've had one friend. He's entered the doozy eight times. Started four times, finished twice. Twice. <laughs> broken finger in rugby. It sometimes doesn't obey when I try to bring it down. But, um, but, but finished twice. Because why? Because these things are tough to do. I remember I was paddling, and some of you wouldn't believe it, but I used to be a paddler, and we were doing the nonstop doozy. I'd been paddling for about seven and a half hours, and we, it was boiling. I mean, it was ridiculously hot. We were kilometers into this race. I don't know how far. We were in the middle of Ananda Dam, so we'd run there and paddle there from Maritzburg. It's summer in Durban, and we're walking up this road, a steep road, on, on this kind of midsection of Ananda Dam. We're walking up our boats just like, ah, surviving. People are throwing water on us. And the guy comes past in a fancy, big, black, fancy 4 by 4 The window slowly comes down. I see his face. He says, just thought I'd let you know. It's 49 degrees outside. And then his window goes up. And I'm like, what a chop. What an absolute chop. Sitting in his aircon, rolling with the homies. And I'm like, actually, the challenge with that is he didn't say quit. He just said, it's hard, eh? It's hard. There's the enemy, I think he's more subtle than quit. Because they know there's a resolve in us. Actually, the enemy's just like rolling around in a big fancy car when you are really sickling and it's really hard. And he's just saying, it's hot out there. Huh? It's got tough. You sure you want to carry on? And you would have heard the saying in marriages, the seven-year itch. Have you heard of that? It's like seven years. What happens at seven years? Well, often at seven years, people are into the kids' phase. They're getting less sleep. They have less money. They've got way less time for themselves. Their wife has way less time for them. The husband has way less time to talk. Everyone's under pressure. No one's getting sleep. Everything's tough. And you're going, I thought this was about me. I was getting married for me. And I'm realizing it's not about me. And at seven years, around there, it's not a kind of physiological thing. Around there, you've got to make a call. Actually, it never was about me. It wasn't about my ego or satisfying my desires. Actually, it's this big journey. That's a marathon. It's got a whole lot of ups and downs to it. Sometimes the enemy, in a clever way, is going to drive past in a big fancy car, let down the window and go, it's quite hot out there. And you've got a decision to make. You've got a decision to make. And people are making decisions. In our world, 50% of them right now. Maybe we can pop up one or two of those, actually, those slides. But 50% of marriage runners are saying, yo, it's hot out here. Why am I doing this? That's what's happening, guys. And actually, when you look at the stats of the world versus the church in America, unfortunately, it's not that different. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because I am the biggest fan of marriage. I think nothing brings glory to God. Maybe you can't see all those, but just about 50% of all marriages end in divorce. There are 46,000 divorces per week in America. And some of the top reasons, poor communication, finances, abuse, no longer attracted to each other, or infidelity. I mean, the reality is they say those are the top reasons. Those probably aren't the reasons. Actually, all of them resolve to one thing, me. And um, so 50% of the runners who enter this race don't finish. We've got to talk, so I want to jump back into Song of Solomon, but this couple described their marriage in, in chapter 2 about a vineyard. You heard Derek and then talk about a vineyard. Who here uses that language in their marriage? Just, our marriage is a vineyard. We till the soil, water, well not these days, you don't, but, but it's this description, it's, 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 a, it's a vineyard. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I need a visual aid. So who better than one of our newly, freshly engaged couples to come and help me? Actually, Jaden and Amy haven't been up here. Come up here. And what you guys, you guys are going to be here. This is called Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, Chapter 2. And, and no, you may. We'll see how it goes. It's the Bible, bro. You don't determine. It's just quiet, bro. This could be a long night if we keep talking. And there's roles that she plays, and that's what the Bible says, and there's roles he plays. And then there's some of you guys play a role. So I'm just going to read it, and um, you're just going to roll with it. Have you watched, um, what's that, whose line is it anyway? Seeing this, it's kind of like that. You kind of just have to add to it. It's the Bible. 
Okay, it goes like this. And this is you. I am a rose of Sharon. You have to come, yes. A lily of the valleys. This is you. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like, and then this is you. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. <laughs> and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Just come. Let, let him lead me to the banquet hall. And let, I didn't really think this one over. And let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. <laughs> Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head. There we go. His right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. <laughs> Listen, my beloved, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look! There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows. That's weird. Peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter has passed, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in the land. The fig tree forms its fruit, its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. This is you. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, Show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. <laughs> and she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag or the rugged hills, on the rugged hills. Let's stop there. I think we all need to breathe. Go and sit down. You sit that side and you sit that side. But uh, I've heard some interesting translations of that text, actually, along the way. Go to youth camp. So, Gab, you'll hear a few things about Song of Solomon. But in the midst of this amazing picture, and they're literally on the high of their life. They're like, it's unbelievable. Look at him. And he's like, look at her. Look at him. Look at her. It's like the cooing of doves. Did you hear? Did you get that? And it's amazing. But in the midst of all of that, they're fighting for some. They're fighting for the preservation of this amazing life. And they throw in the scripture, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Our vineyards that are in bloom. Life is good. Life is easy. We're having fun. Things are good. But catch for us the little foxes. See, a little fox isn't going to kill a vineyard in a day. They might eat some of the grapes off the trees. That's what they might do. But actually what they're known for is they gnaw at the roots. They, expo they ignore at the, at the, the stem of the, the vine. They, they expose the roots by their digging. And in that way, the vine becomes compromised. And its ability to reproduce and season after season produce life gets killed by a little fox. Not a lion. I would think like protect the lions, protect the other gazelles that come running over the mountain. Like put up electric fences or something. He says, no, actually it's the little foxes that come just gnaw away at the vine. And they kill its ability to produce over time and keep that life and that health and that vineyard going. So she's saying, go on a fox hunt, my darling. Get those little foxes. Don't play with them. Get rid of them. And it's an amazing, amazing challenge. And, and surely you'd worry about the bigger things. But here's the challenge. Marriage is a privilege and it's a gift from God. And it's, I think, the greatest gift that reflects Him. And that's why we're given it. It reflects the intimacy that we can have with Him in some form of relationship on this earth. And you see, our culture says it's all about the wedding day. That's the pinnacle. Actually, in this context, the wedding day is just to say you're putting seed in the soil to plant some vines that over time will grow, bear fruit. And, and by, the, by Fox, here the writer is using license, many types of rascals. Um, as, what it's not, though, I just wanted to highlight, because some of you ladies, when I said, watch the little foxes, you're thinking of this person. Could we have that slide up, Tyler? Megan Fox. 
That's not what we're talking about. I know some of you are not allowed to watch transport. What's it, Transformers? What's it, Quinton? Transformers, sorry. Oh, so I didn't mean to say that. And, um, but because of Megan Fox. But that's not the fox I'm talking about. It's all good. But these lovers are committed to protecting. We can take her away now. And, and, um, but they're committed to this vineyard and, and the intimacy that they're fighting for and everything that they're fighting for, they're committed to it. I want to go, we're going to go on a bit of a time lapse. Now, so that's when days are good. And they fight and say, remember the little foxes, sort them out, catch them. We're going to go forward a bit, and it, we don't know exactly the timing, but it's possibly probably a few months after honeymoon. Honeymoon, The honeymoon's a little bit like, yeah, same thing. Same thing. And, um, and we don't need to go on a honeymoon, honey. And, um, but it's a few months after, life is settled, and you're working really hard again. I remember we were young when we got married. I was 24, 25. We were in the going for it in the marketplace, working long, long hours, and, and honeymoon kind of came and went. It was amazing. Had the absolute privilege of going to Thailand for two and a half weeks. Come on. It was amazing. And then we got back, and it's like, whoa, emails for days. I literally just sorted them by name, deleted everyone under me, and read my boss's emails. <laughs> This is the only way really to survive when you're three weeks away. And I was back in, it's like life's big. And we get back there a little bit for this couple. They get back to that reality. Life is big. They're working hard. They're, they're going for it. And they're fighting for the vineyard, but life's coming at them. And it looks like little foxes. And I want to jump into chapter 5. And I've put it up on the screen because I know a lot might not have Bibles tonight. But I want to read a chunky bit of scripture because I, I love what's going on here. And I've never read it with this lens. And he says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my fine wine and my milk. He's on the top of life. He's like, I've got it all. Life is amazing. But something happens here. She said, and the friends say, eat, drink, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your full of love. She says, in verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to be my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with dampness of night. And I want to just jump in here. Here's the scene. He's working really hard. He thinks life's good. He's working hard for them. He's worked late. I, I remember once I actually fell asleep on the couch doing year end and forecasting for numbers and a whole bunch of... I fell asleep on the couch at Unilever offices. And Ken's like, where are you? I'm, like, hey. <laughs> I'm working. And, um, but there's a scene. She had a little dinner prepared. She had a little outfit prepared. The whole thing was prepared. It was all prepared. He's worked late. Maybe he's an accountant and the numbers weren't adding up. Maybe he's a preacher and the preach wasn't working out. Maybe he's a headmaster and there's some parents that are grumpy. I, I don't know. Maybe something's going on. But he didn't get home in time. So she sat there, and the food got cold, and everything got prepared, got cold. So 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, the stuff goes in the fridge. She's phoning, but his phone's off because it had run out. And he's busy. He's head down making it work. And, and so she gets into bed, and, and she says, actually, I slept, but my heart was awake. You've had that moment? It's like you're sleeping, but, but you're not really sleeping. Like the head's going and there's thoughts going and there's a whole bunch of stuff raging and, and, and she carries on. She says, listen, my beloved is knocking. You know when a lady says, listen, exclamation mark, it's important. It means, watch out. Listen, my beloved is knocking. She's lying in bed. The number ones that were ready for the evening are gone. It's down to winter flannels and it's 17 layers and like a, like a balaclava actually on. She's literally just showing eyes. It's, that's what we're down to now. It's like there's seven layers of socks. Business time is long gone. That was, you've missed that bus. He's at the window. He's going, I'm knocking. She says, listen. Says, he, he carries on. My beloved is knocking. Open to me. This is him. My sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew. My hair with the dampness of night. So he's trying all the lines. My dove. My, it's like the whole thing. She's in bed going, mm, I'm going to teach him a lesson. He's going to come hang late when I've put on the efforts here. Just a little thing. He slipped up. Amazing how quickly things can escalate. 
just that morning, they were sending SMSs, and it's, it's love, and like 18 outside on emoticons, and all sorts of stuff. It's like, we're happy. Life is good. Then, a few hours later, it's all going pear-shaped. Carries on verse 3. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She's in bed. She's like, he's outside. See, what had happened... He didn't get home by 10. So between the hours of 10 o'clock and 11, she called a key guy who came and changed all the locks. So he can't get in. And basically, she's saying, tough luck, buddy. Could be a little bit of a tease. Must I take off my robe again? Not. She says, but uh, uh, must I wash my feet again? Sat with a man this week who confessed he had a foot fetish. I was hoping he'd be here tonight, but he's not. And... Um, but essentially, it's, it's a whole bunch of big language, and, and you know what? The love of the morning is gone. Here's a little fox, number one, I'll throw at you. Not believing the best. Not believing. She, she didn't kind of think we're in love. Life has been amazing. These must look at it. Actually, something must have happened that demanded him to do, respond in such a way. Something must have happened because he's loved me. He's called me his dove. How many times a day? He phones me 12 times a day like heaven but then he doesn't pitch. And I had a whole bunch of things in my heart, but maybe they weren't fully communicated. Has this ever happened to you? Because it has happened to me. And it's just a real thing. And it's amazing how quickly those things escalate. And I think at the root of this one response is just believing the best in someone. Just believing the best. You see, he wasn't at risk. He wasn't worried about his risk. She just didn't know where he was. And the reality is, we spoke about it as the guys were talking out there. We live in a trust deficit society. There's a, a trust deficit. People don't trust their families. They don't trust their parents. They don't trust the businesses they work for. They don't trust government. And they don't trust God. And we assume they're going to trust in marriage. And believe the best. Because they made some vows. Because a white dove was released. Because someone threw pieces of paper on top of them while they walked out. It's like all of a sudden that trust deficit is just going to disappear. It doesn't. And... Um, but there is this subtle little fox, and I think as marriage we are called, when two becomes one, you see, we don't struggle to believe the best in ourselves. The Bible says two become one like you love yourself. Actually, you've got to believe the best in this person. Yeah. You want a marriage that's going to work, means you've got to believe the best. And if you can't, maybe you have to have some heated works, words like Kevin and Pauline to get to the other side so that you can do that. Just little insights. He carries on. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound from. He gets angry. <laughs> Anyone else that happens? It's like he's been locked out of his own home. Everything's been so good. What is she thinking? She's locked the doors. He gets angry quickly. Just a little fox. Oh, my dad got angry. He, I've never hit anyone. I've never got cross. I've never sworn at her. No, but, but you're angry. See, the Bible says about God, and I'm learning this, and I'm learning more, that God is slow to anger. Proverbs 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So I think it's okay to have heated moments, but our journey has to be a journey where we calm disputes. James 1, verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and yet we live in a world that is quick to speak, slow to hear, and unbelievably quick off the mark to anger. We, we've done away with DSTV, so I found myself watching YouTube videos a bit more. And there's nothing quite like a good old road rage video to remind you how quickly man can get to anger. It's very, very scary. And um, the challenge is, yes, God does get angry, but when God gets angry, it's about His glory and the praise of Him. The problem is when most times when we get angry, it's about my ego and how that's been dented, if we're being honest. My wife didn't represent me well, or my kids misbehaved in the public. It's about me. It carries on. Solomon, and, and verse 5, I arose to open for him. So now, she said, oh, I've taught him a lesson. He's had to stand in the rain a little bit. He's got a little bit wet, got a bit of a dew on his hair. It's like, oh, now I've got to let him in. I was arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. Like, she's back in the game now. Actually, I've taught him a lesson. we on now. My fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank as his departure. She thought, I'm going to teach him a little bit of tough love. 
and they keep him outside for a while. Meanwhile, he's been working his whole day off for her because he loves her and he feels like that's part of it. You even heard the couples talking. Actually, Derek's saying, I was working for the marriage. So what happens when he's standing at the gate? What happens in your heart if that was you? In my heart, I'm a king of self-justification. I work hard. I took her on honeymoon. I have done this. I have done this. I have done. I don't need this. Boom. You know, the reality is most, if we rationalize, we push them into different corners, they're just small little things that maybe look like little foxes. And um, he didn't feel like he thought, even though he'd worked hard, he, he maybe slipped up and he maybe messed up, but he thought he'd come home and actually the love of the months since honeymoon would be amazing. He didn't feel like he would get attacked at the gate and locked out. You know, the challenge is most men and women don't leave physically, but they leave. Some of you have left emotionally, intimately. You've left. And maybe you were the one who chased the other one away. You thought, just going to teach him a lesson. Just going to make a point. Don't know how to do it for confrontation, so I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to change the locks. I'm going to change the access points. I'm going to make it harder. He thought, you just keep them out just long enough in the rain. Just hold that one thing that you won't let go of. That's the time they slipped up. And then when you thought the time was right, you went to the door, but they've left. I want to tell you, little fox number two, I'm not the master at the potter's table of my spouse's wife. My spouse's life. <laughs> yeah, lighten it up a little bit. There's one master, his name is Jesus. See, the minute I assume that role and I think, I'm just going to keep them at the gate. No, the Bible says, don't, don't hold out on things like intimacy. Why? Because actually, you aren't the potter's hand in your spouse's life. The problem with the seven-year itch is most people think, I'll marry this person, but actually I'll shape them. I just need a few years. Let them come close to my love, closely, and actually I'll change them, eh? Sometimes I'll teach them by keeping them outside, keeping them at a distance. Maybe it's not actually a locked gate, but it's just a distance. Maybe the distance in real terms is just this far, but it's just a distance. And yet your spouse is left. I would say often the reason we're trying to change our spouse is actually because we're worshiping an idol, and that idol is me. And she or he is not serving me, so me gets offended, and I've got to worship my idol by trying to change the person I think could bring me that. It's a challenge, and we all do it. She carries on. She's now looking for him. She says, I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen on the walls. She says, I looked for him. But I did not find him. See, there's desperation in her heart now. So I've sat with people in this place. Desperation makes you do silly things. You, you try to teach them, you try to push. You're just going to push them that little bit further away. You, you don't know where the breaking point is. But, but I'm just going to push. I'm just going to lock the gates. I'm just going to create the distance. She's desperate now. She cries out. Says, actually, I called him, but he did not answer. It's a terrible feeling. I remember in the early days um, in Durban when we had two little ones, we had a 22-month-old and a little baby, and Kans and I were at church, and we left church the same time, and our church was in the city, and, and so you had to go through some pretty rough areas to get home, and I left after Candace, about 20, 25 minutes after Candace, and I got home, and they went there. And, and there's a little fox, it's not so little, it's called fear, because we live in South Africa, we live with crime stats that are real, and I'm sitting there, and five minutes feels like five hours, and ten minutes feels like ten hours, and half an hour later, I am stewing, and I'm burning, and it's actually fear stewing and burning, because she doesn't answer my call, because her phone was dead. And then she walks in the door. What's, what, what comes out? See, fear, little fox, number three, fear is a killer. Sorry, not complicated. 
hope that's okay. 1, 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. See, fear makes us do crazy things like run out in the middle of the night when we're exposed. She says, the watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen on the walls. See, the, the watchmen are there. They should be there for protection, but actually the enemy is always watching. So you'll beat, bruise. And when the, the, the protection of the covenant, the protection of the love, and the little foxes have gotten because he was late for a dinner, come and she gets beaten and bruised, and her cloak of protection and dignity gets taken away from her. Because she's running out of fear now, and she's desperate. And the, the enemy knows how to take a gift. Here's the thing, guys. If you have decided to get married to the young couples that, that are engaged if you have been married for any number of time, you've signed up for a target on your back. I don't know how to tell you. I, I don't want to dramatize it. We don't talk about Satan much. We should. He's real. He's your enemy. And the minute you signed on a dotted line and you said, well, just a legal document, no, in your heart you determine, I'm going to marry this person, I'm going to make vows. You said, I'm, I'm making a statement for the king. I'm becoming a sign and a wonder pointing to the king. I'm standing for something. You have an enemy. But the problem is we live like we don't and the honeymoon quickly quickly gets in trouble. I've only ever gotten one kind of shove and push a little bit. We were on honeymoon in Thailand and I saw a young, a, a, a young man um, grope my wife's, new wife's backside. It didn't go down so well. It proceeded and unfortunately we had a friend who we met on honeymoon. He was a little bit over. Next minute there were five young Thai men. Why? Because there's something protective in me about this lady. She's my wife. It's right. It's not wrong. It is right. Something protective. Actually that cloak and that protection, you, you should run to that. And when we don't believe the best, when the idol of self kicks in, we stop running to the protective mechanisms that God has given us. In something beautiful called marriage. And this stuff happens. Carries on and says, she's crying out to now. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I'm faint with love. She's saying, help! A lot of people in our world, a lot of people in our church, a lot of people at your work, they are crying out, help. And what's the response from the crowd? The crowd says, how is your beloved better than us? Most beautiful of women. See, you're very beautiful, but how is yours better than ours? Ours was a Charlie. He, he, yes, he goes off at night. He does crazy. He spends our money in gambling. He does crazy things. How is your beloved better than ours that you so charge us? Why should we go run around and find this guy for you? He's just like the rest of them. Just cut the ball and chain and move on. Sat with a young girl from this church today. Parents got divorced five years ago. And she said she was sitting in a conversation where someone said, actually, it would be better, be better for us to get divorced. They had rationalized to this point. And she actually went, yeah, I think it would. She's the child of divorce, experienced all the brokenness of it, the diablos, the tearing apart that divorce does. She's experienced all of that. And, and she caught herself going, actually, there's nothing wrong with that. Just separate. It'll be better for the child. And the world's putting things on Facebook about a little kids sitting in the middle and then parents sitting next to them, dad and stepmom and ex-stepmom and mom and ex-stepdad and all these things and saying, well, it's a great picture of family. No, it's not. God's got a design. He says, fight for it. He says, deal with the little foxes that come in Norway that want to kill the vine because you have a vineyard. He gave it to you. Now let it flourish. And don't allow the ways of the world that they're going to shout at you to become part of your thinking. That's the challenge. The challenge. I want to say what she doesn't fall into because he has a response is a self-justifying where actually she got, actually you're right. He did come home late and I did make that dinner and I did put in all that effort and I did have the fancy gear on and it was, whoa! And where was he? She didn't go down that route. Here's her response. My beloved, she, she's responding to them saying, actually, why should you go after him? 
She says, my beloved is radiant and ready, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted with jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. I saw Fee say that about Gabe once. His body is like polished ivory decorated with that. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is the like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. See, understand, she's still separated from him. She's distant from him. She's got reason to doubt him. But she makes a determination. She cuts off the head, in the language of Derek and Lorraine, of a little fox that says, actually, I'm going to doubt. I'm not going to believe the best. I'm going to self-justify. I'm going to keep going down that road. She cuts all that off and says, actually, I'm going to tell you who he is. He is a gift to me. She is amazing to me. And I'm not going to buy into and I'm bow down to what you say and your norms and what's normal for you because it's not normal for me. What's normal for me is what God said. And God said, you receive a gift today on that wedding day and you're going to walk with them. When you get to heaven one day, I'm going to ask you, how did you look after them? Not your business or even your kids. The first question, how did you look after your wife? How did you steward your husband? And she responds to that inner conviction, which unfortunately so many people don't. In that situation, unfortunately in the church, it's run off to my mate and divulge everything, how terrible my husband is. And then your mate who should say, grow up, go home to your husband and sort it out. They say, oh, tell me more. Mine is just as bad. And they get together and like a bunch of street kids on the side of a road, we find each other broken and abused. And we, instead of helping each other find our way back to Jesus, we take each other down. I hate to be real with you, but it happens too often. And she makes a different stance and she fights for a different thing and she speaks life into her story and she cuts off the head of that fox, which was just nya, nya, nya. (laughs) I want to tell you, there's a marriage researcher, his name's John Gottman. He says, one difference of the years, he took 130 couples, put them in a tough situation and interviewed and watched them, how they interacted. And he just took 15 minutes, the first 15 minutes of the interaction. It says, one main difference with great marriages versus those not so great is that great couples have an unrealistically positive view about each other. Unrealistically positive view. It says, they choose to see each other through a positive lens. And they magnify those qualities. See, in marriage, we get given glasses. Some glasses make things seem smaller. Some make things seem bigger. I've never worn glasses, so I don't really get it. But that's how I understand it. I think in marriage, the fruit of the Spirit is the ability to make something that could seem very big become very small. In the light of a long story, like seven years on this earth, but even a longer story, like a walk with Jesus for eternity, we get to put those lenses on. We get to do that. You see, we think we don't, but we do. We get to put them on. Just read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to read it now. But I think the, blo- the glasses is the Holy Spirit in our life. The bond of love that enables us to navigate some pretty darn tough orders. And get to the other side and go, God is glorious. He gave me an amazing gift. The challenge is we get to put those glasses on. And I want to talk about little foxes, five and six. They brother and sister. They carry on criticism and contempt. See, she chose the lens of My beloved is outstanding among 10,000. She made a choice. Ephesians says, speak the truth in love because I think it builds an environment. When you speak the truth in love, it builds an environment. When you just speak the truth, it brings a truth, but it can come like a knife. When you speak the truth in love, it builds an environment in which even a sore thing, even a recovering thing, even something broken can flourish. See, I'm learning, I trust and getting better at this. I want to be better at this. I want to be the best version of me that I can be in this. And it's a journey. See, and this guy did a study of 130 newlywed couples. They observed them in what they called the love lab. <laughs> we should get love lab. And, um, and he gives them, tries to get them to resolve a disagreement they already have and gives them 15 minutes. That's it. And they observed these, these things. He says, these, if these six things happen, I'll... 
I've got an 84% or 83% accuracy in predicting divorce after observing them for five minutes. Five minutes. Tested now. It's studies. It's studies. Five minutes. These six things. Number one, my language, not his language. He said the first three minutes. The way something starts, and here they put it this way. They said statistics tell the story 96% of the time you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of the interaction. Your first response. It's the same with the church in the world. <gasps> Yay. <gasps> Smoking. <gasps> you don't go to church. First response. Sometimes, even with good intentions, somehow. But we do it with our spouse as well, who knows us better. They can read through the, the masks. They can see through that stuff. He says, actually, give me three minutes. And based on the first, I'll tell you about divorce. Then he says, there are the four horsemen. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So criticism, see, a complaint is fine. So I can bring a complaint to my marriage, even around very sensitive stuff. We've done, we've spoken about that. Complaint sounds like this. I was scared when you were running late and, and you didn't call me. I thought we had agreed that we would do that for each other. That's a complaint. That's a, I'm fighting for us. Here's criticism. You never think about how your behavior is affecting other people. I don't believe you are forgetful. You are just selfish. You never think about others. You never think about me. Same issue, same thing, different. Contempt, you're tired. Cry me a river. I've been with the kids all day, running around like mad, working my butt off. Don't tell me how hard you've been working. Here's the kid. <laughs> what about defensiveness? And... Um, did you call Betty and Ralph to let them know that, that this is her saying, this, did you call them to let them know that we were coming tonight? And he's like, oh, I was too busy. Why didn't you do some work? Why didn't you phone her? Rather than just actually, you know what? I didn't. I didn't. I've failed at all of these so many times. It's quite funny speaking about them. And um, <laughs> the last one, that's called stonewalling. This has never been my strength, so I'm, I can't claim this one. But it's just that, like, your wife's going off and you're just like. <laughs> Some of you are machines at this. And you somehow think it's more holy. Just because I say nothing, I'm a lot like Jesus. <laughs> it's not a real thing. doesn't bring life. Just three other things he says. Flooding, it's like all that stuff. And you get home and you're just so good at putting them all in. Your husband and your wife is just like flooded, washed down the river. They got no chance. Then he says body language, blood pressure, all these things that tell a whole bunch of stuff about us is actually lets us down. You can read it, body language like this. You can read it. Some people get all that blotchy thing. That's why I did that. I had a girlfriend who whenever she got cross, blotchy. I'm like... Not this one. And, um, <laughs> and uh, he said, number five, failed repair attempts. He says, divorce, you, you can just, divorce can be avoided with one single conversation. I'm telling you guys, I've sat in rooms of people who are now divorced, that if just one of them could have assumed the position of humility, the marriage would have lasted. I'm convinced. Because the grace of God invades. He says, bad memories, just too many bad memories that work up. And there's others, they carry on, and this ends well. She says, they, they carry on in chapter 6, where has your beloved gone? These guys are asking, most beautiful of women. They use the same term. Which way did your beloved turn that you, we may look for him with you? And she says, actually, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of the spices, to browse in the gardens and, the, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and he is mine. He browses among the lilies. They've sorted out the issues. She spoke about who he was and who he was returned. And they've got to the other side of their conflict. So yes, unresolved conflict. Conflict. Not hard to put that on the list of foxes. What about some other little foxes and then one scripture? See, the challenge is we don't, we don't keep in our minds the process of how we reconcile. We just keep the end result. Did we or didn't we? Most of us, 
I, I don't remember all our fights. I don't. Uh, but I remember that we got through them. Some other foxes worth mentioning, neglect. Just a fox. Just a little of neglect. My spouse, neglect of their energy, neglect of their needs. Little all work, no play. <laughs> what about idols? Idols of the heart. And, the, and a couple of examples here that um, were given. Video games, shopping, children. Addicted to work. No, no, I'm really working for you. No, you're not. You're just a workaholic. You're working for you. Selfishness. Selfishness. Pleasure. Or even a lack of purpose. Husbands, lead your home with purpose and vision. I want to say, there's the best deterrent I know, which is Jesus. And my wife gave me this scripture so I can take no glory for it, but flip, it's good. Deuteronomy 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You want to know how to sort out the foxes? Keep choosing life. God says, I, I give you life and death, blessings and curses, and you keep choosing the wrong ones. He says, choose life. Wake up every day, receive the grace that is from Him, receive the mercies that are from Him, get over yesterday's story, and choose life. See, I think too many people think they don't have a choice. I want to tell you, I don't care what your spouse has done, you still have a choice. I sat with someone recently whose husband had an affair. And she was going on, I just can't get over it, I can't respond. I said, actually, I love you, but I've got to help you here. Because six months ago, we sat down. We prayed for him to return. We prayed for him to come to his right mind. We prayed for him to repent before God. We prayed for him to give up that nonsense. We prayed for him to be back here. And you know what? You've got all five of those things. And now you are deciding whether or not you want to journey from this point. You've got to be careful what you pray for. Choose life. Because in Jesus, there is always life. In Jesus, dead things come to life, including marriages. Including dead sexual intimacy realities. Dead things come to life when we choose life. You want to choose life? Choose Jesus. Choose humility. Choose to please Him. Stop trying to please your spouse. Live to please Him. And you know what will happen? You will have the most pleased spouse in the world. The gospel is not complicated, guys. Marriage is not complicated. We are complicated. And, and I love that scripture. I've said before you, Life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life. Can you write that on your walls? If there's some area you go and your husband does crazy things and you're someone who sucks it up, you go and you write big on that wall, now choose life. Write in your car, write it on your cell phone face, put it everywhere because I believe when Belize, I don't know what that means, cell phone face. Just, just take a permanent pen and write it on your cell phone. But, but that thing, Facebook, cell phone. And, and, but I think when believers take God at his word and they make choices, here's the thing. The world's saying, you don't have a choice. Your husband cheated. You don't have a choice. Get out. You don't have a choice. Your husband's lazy. Get out. You don't have a choice. Your wife doesn't love you. Get out. You don't have a choice. No, you do have a choice. And there is a God, and he is in this relationship, and he says, choose life. And when you choose life, what happens? Miracle of miracles, all the things you pray for, where there was death, life comes. Then keep choosing life. Just got engaged. Choose life. Choose life. Choose His ways. Stop reading Cosmo and men's health and websites and heart. Honestly, stop reading that stuff. Find God. Encounter the King of Kings. Become so enamored and overwhelmed by his goodness and I promise you you will be the best gift to your spouse you could ever be and the best version you could ever be and we take our eyes off the world we give our eyes to Jesus and we choose him 
we'll see statistics change. And we'll have courage to give others courage to fight the good fight. Not for marriage, for the glory of God. And he's going to use marriage. Can I pray? Is that all right? I am... Maybe even you are here and you know you locked the doors. Maybe your husband's still in the house, your wife's still in the house, but they're not there anymore like they used to. The Bible says, the Bible says, I'll give you hope, but I want to tell you how the gospel goes. It goes, repent, and then watch God pour in. It's a gospel of repentance. I'm preaching here. I'm standing before you in this light with this mic on my head and I'm going, God, I need to repent. I'm not the best version of me yet, but I want to be on the journey. Some of us have got to repent right now. You Don't wait for another marriage boot camp. Don't wait for another thing. It's not about, it's about now. Repentance is choosing life. Maybe you're still in the honeymoon phase. I want to tell you, fight. See the little foxes before they get big. See them, and in Derek's words and Lorraine's words, cut its head off. Money will not bring you a marriage of joy. Money is not the issue. Your heart is. Make millions, make billions, but keep money in its place. Keep selfishness in its place. And every time, choose life. Life or death, blessings or curses. I think every day we get to make that call. In our thoughts, it starts there. In our hearts, where stuff gets deep inside. Maybe you're hurting even now. So, Spirit of God, come now. Just come. You can get. There are no words of man, no five points about marriage could ever get to. Come now. Settle. Reveal. Give courage. And put courage in us as a people to fight for the good fight, to run the marathon of marriage. The ups and the downs, the hills to climb, and the hills we run down, when it's raining, when it's hot, to keep running. So that we aren't those who run out the first 10Ks and the pictures on TV were amazing. But we are those who finish. We finish. We give you glory. Pray God, do everything you want to do. In this place, we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. Thank you for marriage. Amen.